Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Constructed Resources. I'm here alongside my co-host, Andrew Beckstrom, otherwise known as BK, and a few other choice nicknames, which we don't need to get into here. How are you going, uh, BK? <laughs> what, what was that supposed to mean? Uh, what? I guess, no, you're, you're right, you're right, you're right. What I, do you mean, I, what? I, you okay, literally okay, okay. only said one thing so far. I, I Okay, I agree. I kind of go, I should have chosen between how are you doing or how's it going. I just said how are you going. So I agree that's not really like the the smoothest start. But uh, all right, we are coming in hot. Um, so <laughs> I'm doing all right. We you and I we went to our first sort of paper event for the first time in a million years this past weekend. We went to a pre-release here in Denver uh, for Adventures of the Forgotten Realm, um, and it was a, it was a good time uh, mixing it up with some uh, some randos and. And yeah, I lost to a, a local grinder, Matt Nass, and but otherwise um, had a pretty good run with a with a um, with a, a nice little uh, blue black control deck. How was your pre-release experience, Luis? I had a blue black kind of more mid-rangey deck that had a lot of ways to get its various saboteurs through, and that was pretty fun. Uh, ended up going two zero before we all collectively dropped to go have pizza and beer. So that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think half of our pre-release was because eight of us showed up and it was a 32 person pre-release. Uh, <laughs> we, we were all a bunch of two O's. I think everyone in our group went two O just about uh, before, before we, we dropped. So it, it, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I really did enjoy playing in paper again. It was really cool. Um, I did, I did get a five O sweep in a, in a game of pie gal uh, with the pack that we got at the pre-release afterwards. And that was, you just can't, you just can't top that. So I'll, I'll take that win, and uh, I'll, I'll beat Matt Ass another time. Indeed, indeed. All right, so we're going to be talking about brainstorm and historic today, as always. Uh, this show is brought to you by Channel Fireball. You can head on over to channelfireball.com to pick up all the cards you need for. Well, I guess not historic so much, but anything else, including adventures in the Forgotten Realm, some bangers there. So head on over to channelfireball.com, and you know what? If you want to get something or sign up for CFB Pro, another great idea. Use the code CR. It'll help support your friendly neighborhood podcast, but also this one. In any case, uh, recently we got the news. In a shocking twist, Brainstorm has been deemed too powerful for historic and is not not banned. It is suspended, which is something me and Matt Nass on – the bandwagon have often complained about in, in a sense of like, what does it mean for brainstorm to be suspended? And yeah, we're going to, we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive into what got weaker, obvious, what got better and, uh, and more. So first things first, what, what under what conditions do you think brainstorm is going to return? <laughs> well, I want to do decks of the week and then I'm going to, I'll tell you all about the, um, just- the magical power of brainstorm. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm not used to you actually coming up with the decks of the week, so we're gonna we're ready to get those going. All right, first deck of the week. Want to talk about blue black mill in modern? And so, if you're a modern player, uh, you're no doubt aware of the presence. This is why so many of your opponents have a one weirdo Eldrazi in their sideboard, like one of the OG Eldrazi's, like Emrakul the Aeon's Torn, so that when they get milled, it potentially shuffles their whole deck. Um, and the reason why people are playing so much blue black mill is it's just like they've just printed a lot of really good blue black mill cards in the last year like here are all the cards in this deck Luis, which in the main deck just have been printed in the last year we've got ruin crab that's the obviously another just you know one drop that mills when you landfall maddening cacophony a two mana mill spell that can also um be 
sort of overloaded or kickered to deal even more damage or to, to mill even harder. We've got Tasha's Hideous Laughter. That's the new one from Adventures of the Forgotten Realms where you're sort of milling until you hit a set amount of CMC. And the great thing about that is that if you play against one of these like mono one drop decks, uh, you just get to mill for a ton of their deck. So it's like kind of like a mind funeral. And then Fractured Sanity being uh, three mana mill 14, but you can also cycle it for two to get a little bit of milling. And so this deck is just like, it's the one of the like w- mind-blowing moments for me was when somebody's like, yeah, Mill is a Lava Spike deck. And I was like, what do you, and I was thinking about it. I was like, oh no, you're totally right. What it, essentially what the deck does is it tries to draw enough effects that sort of just go face, that don't attack or block to deal a critical amount of some quantity with burn decks, it's dealing damage. And with Mill decks, they need to hit a magical number of cards milled over. And when you just keep amping up the amount that the Mill spells can hit, like for instance, Luis, this deck isn't even that was from the modern challenge this past weekend that that made it to the top eight isn't even playing glimpse the unthinkable because they have just really crept up both the raw efficiency of some of the milk cards but in the case of things like matting cacophony and fractured sanity some of the flexibility of them and so um a really potent deck and certainly one if you're trying to play any game where you sort of aren't going to win in the first five turns of the game you absolutely need to have a plan main deck or at the very least sideboard for blue black mill because this deck is just going to destroy your library in pretty quick order yeah it seems like they've printed a million cards uh that go into deck recently and yeah it is lava spikes all the way down if you're not if you're not ready to either outrace them or interact with them and they're very hard to interact with uh yeah you're going to be out of luck and that's that is why people are playing rando eldrazi's indeed the other big thing I love about playing Mill in Modern since the London Mulligan is we talk about this a lot, about how much more often decks are built around one key card, one key interaction, one key combo. Well, when you just play with Mill and main deck Surgical Extraction and you have some kind of read on what your opponent's doing, obviously when you mill over Urza's Tower, you know you kind of know what the gambit is. But when you hit something like Living End or Crashing Footfalls, well, then it just means that a surgical extraction is not just having a significant impact on what ultimately they might do or one tactical part of their game plan, but you are utterly devastating a significant part of what they hope to do this game. And for all of the Cascade decks running around, mill the key Cascade sort of card and then getting it hit by surgical extraction is just going to be sort of an auto win for the mill deck. Yeah, this deck seems like it's creeping up in the standings. It keeps getting more and more cards and obviously keeps getting better as well. Uh, next up, shout out to a co-worker of mine, Michael Jacob, a.k.a. The Darkest Mage, who got second with a deck that has been climbing up the ranks in Pioneer. And that is a five-color Enigmatic Incarnation. And uh, Enigmatic Incarnation is a bit of an oddball. It's kind of like a birthing pot effect for... Um, uh, four enchantments, and it's from Theros Beyond Death. It's four mana at the beginning of your end step. You may sack another enchantment. If you do, search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus the sacrificed enchantment's mana cost. And so, obviously, we've got lots of nice little cantripping enchantments, you know, all of the, like, Omen of the Sea type effects. But then we ultimately get to turn those into whatever it is we might need in this particular game. And you you know, you're playing in some kind of artifact style deck. Hey, go and turn that Omen of the Sea into a Knight of Autumn. 
Um, you could turn your three drop. You could turn your three drops into some power into uh, um, like Archon of Sun's Grace, and then all of the enchantments you play are making you Pegasus. And so there's a lot of potential flexibility to this deck. And then of course it's an 80 card deck. Most you already want your enchantments to have good ATB effects because you're planning on sacrificing them. And so then that means is that what you're likely to be doing in the game is putting out a great critical mass of ETB effects such that Yorian coming out of the sideboard is going to be great. Let's get Fires of Invention in the mix so that we can just play it for free from our hand once we pay that three mana. A lot of really strong synergies, a lot of really strong flexibility for a diverse format. And so that's a big reason why um, some of the competitive players, the spikes like Michael Jacob, have been turning to five-color Enigmatic Incarnation. Birthing Pot is such a cool card, and even though the actual card Birthing Pot itself is a bit too much, it's really cool. It, the, the effect it has is awesome, and this is a kind of cool way to bring together the fun of Birthing Pod with enchantments and creatures, so it leads to some really interesting deck building, and uh, I think it's I think it's got some really cool stuff going on. So I, I know MJ really likes this deck. He's talked about it frequently. The biggest new addition to the deck is Moon-Based Cleric. This is from Adventures of the Forgotten Realm, and it's a three-mana, three-two in white, so two in a white, and it has ETB. Search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, shuffle it, and put it on top. And so we have a fairly potent en- enchantment tutor. Um, we're only sort of getting like a vampiric tutor style effect, but the fact that our enigmatic incarnations can go and get the moon-based cleric means that we sort of have a way to sort of use the tutoring of enigmatic incarnation, which is only supposed to get creatures, but in a roundabout way can ultimately get you enchantments. So um, that's a pretty nice thing to have access to, particularly because fires of invention can so often just take your deck into overdrive. And so with enigmatic incarnation, sacking one of those cantripping two drops, get the moon-based cleric, put the fires of invention on top, you get what's going on here. The based cleric, yes. <laughs> All right, Luis. So let, let's dig into it. Um, the, the the way that we find out about banned and restricted announcements to these these days is so peculiar. So everything sort of kind of came to a a big like screeching halt on Tuesday when Fire at Fire Shoes, aka Robert Taylor, <laughs> did the the classic trick of typing random URLs into Wizards' website like, say, banned and restricted announcement dash July 21, because that's always the format they use, discovering that not the URL did exist, but he didn't have access to authorize it, implied that they were preparing this URL for public consumption, but it was not ready. Thus, there was a banned and restricted announcement coming on July 21st. Man, you know, you know what? I'll be honest. I, I, I don't like that. I, oh, both, no. But both of us have worked in companies that make announcements, and post them on the website and making it people's lives, like making the, the your, your lives so much harder. You're like, Oh look, people did some URL sniffing and they found out this is happening. It's like, I don't know. Like, it's really annoying. Like, could you, I, it's not a big deal. It really isn't, but it's just like, it doesn't matter that we learned about it 12 hours earlier, but it's caused like, I, I think it causes the employees stress because like, you do have to prep these things to get posted the next day. Like you're not just like sitting there and posting them at 9 a.m. I mean, you could do it that way, but I don't think it's like wrong of wizards to want to prep this in advance and then have people like a bunch of ravening hyenas trying to trying to figure out what's going on. Is just like just let them announce the thing. It doesn't matter if we know about it Monday night instead of Tuesday morning or whatever. Yeah, the unusual part about this is that this isn't 
this isn't close to the first time that someone has used URL sniffing to devise what Wizards was about to announce. And you would think that they could have some mechanisms to prevent this and to ward this off. Um, Banning and restricting cards in Magic is a stressful and frustrating experience for a lot of people. It's, you know, people invest a lot of time and money into their decks, into cards, and when they get them taken away, it's something that can sometimes potentially push them out of the game. I would think that they would have a preference on the manner and time by which players learned about these announcements and that they were coming and that they would have some kind of opinion and that even if they don't, maybe they want people to know about a day or two in advance, but they could be the ones to tease that. And maybe they don't want people to find out until the morning of. And if they did, tried to do something to stop the URL sniffing, they could do that. To not have a position to me, it's almost like saying, eh, yeah, whatever, you'll find out one way or the other. And it's like, I don't know. Put, I would hope they could put a little bit more effort into trying to manage this experience just because banning things is one of the more harsh things that they have to do in terms of preserving and promoting the health of the game. All right. L- last thing on this particular thing. I understand there's also ways to obfuscate that and not be vulnerable to this, but like, come on, we're, we're talking about, <laughs> we're talking wow. about, we're talking about lots here. So like, you know, whatever it's not. What, but, the, uh, Daily MTG has not been, does not have the track record of being the most reliable website right. in the world. In any case, brainstorm is now suspended. Um, and before you so rudely cut me off with these decks of the week, we we talked about <laughs> we started to get into the fact that suspension means it could at some point come back, but I just I don't see that happening because when it comes down to it, brainstorms a busted card, and I think most people whose opinions I respect who weighed in on that seem to say the same thing, like. Yeah, so why don't you first set off set the stage maybe for people and if you haven't been paying attention to historic and you're curious what the opinion of a rivals potential MPL player who's been play, played it multiple times in league weekends, um what's your impression been of where was the historic format at in ter- um when well, this decision was since, made? Since Brainstorm came out, I played three different historic decks uh to extremely good records and I had four brainstorms in all of them and they were three different decks. It was uh, Jeskai Control, uh, then, you know, Is It Combo, and then Demir Control. And at no point did we consider not playing a Brainstorm deck or playing fewer than four Brainstorms. And that's not the only thing, of course. But one of the things, and this came up when we were talking, actually, uh, is you pointed out that people correctly identify that Brainstorm is worse in Historic than it is in Legacy. There are, aren't a bunch of fetch lands. There's just Fabled Passage, you know, plus like some more marginal things like Stormwing Entity or Field of Ruin or Expressive Iteration or whatever. And they're like, aha, but it's from so much worse than it is in Legacy. And it's like, great. It's still incredibly good. It just makes it so these blue decks basically always have what they need. And this is what's dangerous about Brainstorm. It's very hard to diagnose losing to Brainstorm. Because there's, mm-hmm. it's it's not a card that kills you, and it's even a card that like you know when when you do your job right, it's like you did nothing at all. Like from your perspective across the table, your opponent cast a brainstorm, probably thought a long time because people tend to do that. Um, and then the game progressed, and at the end of the game, they just had as much action as they needed, or they had the answer to your thing, or they had the combo they were looking for. And yeah, that could have been brainstorm, or could have been an opt instead. It could have been nothing. Maybe the game would have played out the same. You don't really know. The reality of the situation is. Brainstorm contributes to a lot of these wins because 
it makes sure you don't draw excess land or too few land. It means you don't uh, end up, you know, getting stuck with a dead doom blade in your hand against an opponent who's got no targets. It means if you draw your brick Velomachus in your blue red deck, you get to brainstorm it back, and and so on and so forth. And it snowballs even where the first brainstorm finds you enough stuff that's often by then you've even found another one to later reset it. And there are enough shuffle effects that it still just does the trick. Because the, what's the floor on brainstorm? One blue. Look at, you know, draw your top three and then put two back and then redraw them. So you you get access to your top three cards right away at the cost of having to draw two cards from your hand over the next two turns. Like the floor on that is just still pretty high. That's not terrible. It also does stuff like protect you from discard. So at the end of the day, Brainstorm is doing so much work, but it's not immediately apparent at surface level a lot of the time. And that's why we've got things like win rates, which, uh, as you can, as you'll probably explain to us, really did tell the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's an unusual case. So, brainstorm's metagame share in in high level tournaments was just absolutely absurd, off the charts. We had like I don't think people today quite appreciate that things like somebody playing thirty like thirty one out of thirty two possible copies in the top eight of a tournament how abnormal that is sort of historically um when i when i started playing also, on the it wasn't third 31 court, copies it was 32. it wasn't it was 32 because seth claimed he forgot to register the fourth i thought that was no he i thought he actually did register three it was just intentional and he was right. joking about it being unintentional oh i thought he i thought he meant to register four no oh uh, yes i believe that was he was he Whatever. was it doesn't matter making, yeah thing. anyway doesn't matter but um We've had a couple instances of recent years of getting like the 32 sort of maxed um, like experiences like that with things like Oko. And it is it was not a thing for just years and years and years when Luis and I were playing on the Pro Tour that that would happen. Like you, you just you would have tournaments where it was like, oh, half the tournament happened to be this deck. And this was like a pretty good showing at a Pro Tour. But it was not like this, that the kind of thing that we get with the kind of regularity that we're getting nowadays. And so it's it's worth noting that like don't be mistaken by recent history it does actually indicate that these formats are in the very extreme end of homogeneousness for them to or homogeneity i guess would be the better word but uh to reach that level of saturation for an individual card and like you meant and i agree with can, all can the you do points that, that you made without using homogeneous or saturation i don't really follow uh, it means that it was everything was the <laughs> no, same I and I threw it up so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so like I agreed with all the points you made about why Brainstorm is so good. Um, it's okay to have cards like basically be auto includes. You don't want in certain colors and in certain types of strategies. Definitely. Like it's not a bad thing that like Lightning Bolt shows up throughout Magic's history in a lot of decks. One of the things that makes, even though it's a one mana spell and it's just really good, Lightning Bolt just still does have bad matchups and bad moments. And uh, as somebody who played a lot of Blue Red Splinter Twin in Modern, I can promise you there were a lot of spots where I had Lightning Bolt in my hand and I was like, this card is a lot worse than if I had played something else. And the fact that the card does have those moments of being weak, of making you consider um, not keeping a hand with so many Lightning Bolts because it might be a liability or potentially siding them out, it really does add a lot. Brainstorm is the kind of card where it's just like, it's never bad. And there's like never bad in the sense of like a cycling card is never bad because you can cycle it away. But then there's just literally like brainstorm is just never bad to a degree 
that far eclipses a lot of the other kinds of staples that we see. And so when it, a card is at that level, is of that kind of design, you can expect that it has the potential to just absolutely, one, dominate the format in terms of showing up in lots of decks. And once it reaches that level, it's very it's, it's potentially quite difficult for players to be able to adjust against it and for the format to continue to churn and be dynamic. Um, now, in the case of the win rate thing, let's all unpack that. Because <laughs> that was just wild. Um the win rate there was some, they were citing some stats about the win rate of brainstorm only being you know in like the 52 or 54 something like that range um and it's like well look at this it's you know it's only doing that um one of the big things when so like let's unpack that because so your impression is is like brainstorm's top baiting everything it's winning everything it's showing up everywhere why would that happen if it didn't have a dramatically higher win percentage than above 50% First of all, decks generally. First of all, players can have higher win rates than decks generally. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, if a deck were to consistently be in the sixty percent win rate, we would just ban it. It just gets banned almost every time. Um, I like actually think Luis- that the the line is fifty five. Like at fifty, right? At, at fifty five, that's when you start getting concerned. Yes, and Luis can have like a sixty something percent win rate. And at the Grand Prix or Pro Tours or whatever, and it's just like the world moves on. But you can't have that with a deck. And so well, there's if one your expectation. There, there's there's 75 right. people playing Splinter Twin in, the, in this 400-person tournament or whatever. So if your expectation about what is like a dangerous level of win rate is anyway anchored by pro players, let's just set that aside. Not saying that that is anything that was going on here, but it's it's a thing that comes up. Um, well, what I think big, is, big, is, big, is relevant yeah. is that most people would not think, oh, the decks Brainstorm decks are winning 55%. Why is that a big deal? It is a big right. deal. Like that's that that's a really big deal. That's that's about the 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 place where you start thinking like, okay, what's going on here? Because when someone is when, when decks this popular are winning that much, like that is a cause for concern because the the more people who play a deck, the more it pushes that deck's win rate to fifty percent. And, and yeah, that's a super important concept. Yeah, that I don't think everyone knows. Like when you have a when you have a deck that's played by. 25% of the people in the tournament and the deck has like a 54% win rate. That's obscenely good. Like you have so many people playing the deck and a lot of them are going to lose. Like if it can consistently keep the win rate up, even when the the format is pretty much filled with it, then that's, that, that's tough. That's not going to happen very often. Yeah. Uh, yes. And the, the, that sort of phenomena really creeps up into like, it is profoundly distorting the numbers once we get into like the it's played by half the field. When a deck is played by half the field, that means that literally half its games, it can only win at 50% because one of it has to win and one of it has to lose. And so essentially for something like if you if you I don't think Brainstorm Brainstorm was reaching those kinds of metagame shares in tournaments. I can imagine a ladder play it was lower for the numbers they were looking at, but still the general idea of like it was pull if it was only in like the low like the low like fifty something percent range, it is dramatically pulled back by that phenomenon. The second thing is just like that's that's pretty wild for a card that doesn't do anything. And it's like weird we're talking about why brainstorm so busted, but fundamentally, all of the card does is just sort of help smooth out your draws. It's not like it actually does anything to your opponent. In the case of like, there's exceptions. Like storming entity is an exception in that like having a good one mana card allows you to play that better. There's not really anything going on with it and indomitable creativity or it and Jeskai control outside of like 
um, in terms of this card actually making those cards better. It just makes everything a lot smoother and happen more consistently the way that you want to. If a card like that is bringing everyone's win rates way up into the like, it basically, as long as you're playing Brainstorm, you are going to have a big edge compared to anyone who doesn't. That is That just means this card is really messing with the fundamental dynamics of what is going on in the game of Magic. If you looked at the... If you looked at the tournament data, it was clearly overplayed. If you looked at just the ladder play, I would have, I would expect it to be a lot less because a lot the the stakes in the ladder are different. Like people people at a high rate in the ladder play what they want to play, and that's totally fine. I mean that that makes a lot of sense. But in tournaments, when it's like, hey, I'm paying money to enter this, or this is a unique opportunity, you're going to see more people sleeve up the best decks, and. And that, when you say it was overplayed in tournaments, do you mean like it was played more than it should sorry, or more than it should for being healthy? I, I meant overrepresented, yes. Like, but in which, like for the format to be healthy? Yes, or, for the format um, to be healthy, not for okay. not because people played it and shouldn't. In fact, more people should have played it. The, <laughs> the, the matchups of Brainstorm against non-Brainstorm are not pretty, you know? Like yeah. it, it, it did a lot of winning. So there was a... I found the, the the ban restricted article, sorry, the suspension article, to be unconvincing when they said like, "Hey, the win rates aren't concerning." It's like, I think if you really dug into the win rates of this thing, you would find some pretty gnarly numbers of what you know, what percentage of people were playing brainstorm in events. What was the win rate of brainstorm against non brainstorm? And that that was especially factoring in how many people played all these things. The yes, the the indication of brainstorm could potentially return to historic in the future after a period on the suspended list when historic might be able to better absorb it is terrifying to me for two reasons. Reason number one is that first of all, it implies we're doing this again, not in the sense of like brainstorm is going to be back, but that it implies that there is going to be some absurd injection of power in a future in, in one of the Innistrad sets in the form of something like the Mystical Archive. I think the Mystical Archive is really dope and awesome. I just am not that into trying to completely dominate the ability to be able to play and experience the cards that have been released in sets in recent years around and make the format around things like Faithless Looting and Brainstorm and Tainted Pact. And so if the idea is that in six months it must be healthy... Well, you must know something I don't know about what's coming next, because otherwise, what else is changing the dynamic here? I don't know that that's the case, but that would be my prediction um, anyway. So the last time I made a prediction like this was when the when Throne of Eldraine came out. And they were like, this represents the bar for what's like coming next, or like this is the target we're going to reach. And at the time, I told a bunch of people, I was like, oh my gosh, they might actually be doing something like this again soon. And you know what the next couple sets had? Uro's and, Uro and Companions. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I nailed that one. So we'll just see. We'll revisit this one in a couple months. All I know is the the day they announced Brainstorm was coming to Historic, Cuneo, I retweeted this, Cuneo was like, adding Brainstorm to Historic doesn't make me excited. It makes me think you don't know what you're doing. And like, Brainstorm came out. It crushed at about the rate everyone thought. Like, it wasn't winning 70% or 60% because, yeah, there weren't fetches in the format. It's not like an egregious crime not to play Greenstorm, it's just a mistake. <laughs> so it it, it, it kind of dominated. And let's talk about, let's get a little more specific here. Let's talk about some of the decks that uh, that got hurt. Uh, first of all, I mean, the obvious oh, ones. Oh, I give a second reason so people aren't wondering what it, why it terrifies me. The other oh. reason why it terrifies me is that it's like basically every single person I know who like I believe understands magic really well. And I'm not just talking about my like 
people I'm friendly with um, believes that Brainstorm is like a really, really strong card that, that is very difficult to have be the backbone of most formats. And so, and I think that it's not that Magic players always know better what it is to do in order to improve and make formats more fun. But I believe in the Magic Pro's ability to be able to tell you what the incentives are when you give them a format. And they do a really good job of being able to demonstrate. If they come to the conclusion after playing a format for a while for tens of thousands of dollars and they say, yeah, you have to play Brainstorm if you want to win, that is the kind of thing you should treat like gospel. Whether or not like cards are fun and this or that, that all stuff is like they have a very limited perspective that is much more about their experiences. Whether or not a format will revolve around a card when they've had a chance to play it a bunch is a thing you can actually trust them on. And that was not the perspective we got in the article from Watsi. So no. we'll have to see on that point. So digging into the specifics, the the decks that get weaker, well, duh, the blue decks, uh, is it Phoenix, I think, goes from being the kind of de facto best deck in the format, certainly the deck to beat, to, I would say, pretty mediocre, no, middle of the field. Like, it's still a playable deck. You played some with the Phoenix Abundant Harvest deck that people ended up dropping Harvest once Brainstorm came out because you didn't need to, but that deck did seem fine. Yeah, uh, Phoenix just, like, any deck basically that plays Faithless Looting just needs Brainstorm a lot less. Like, you obviously still love Brainstorm because it's a busted card for all the reasons we've talked about. But when you just ha- when you are just able to play Faithless Looting, when discarding cards is a thing you are going to be doing in the game, when you have cards you want to discard, it just gives you a lot of ability to control your draws and smooth them out in a way that will be very satisfying where you get the Phoenixes in the yard to come back, and then you get cards in your hand you actually want to cast. Um, Abundant Harvest and Splashing that in Teamer did seem viable at the time. I could certainly see things moving back in that direction. Um, there's been some lots of nice new sort of looting style effects. I don't think like Sorcerer class gets there, but um, mm. it certainly does. We, we certainly are in a space where they have printed a lot of good blue and red sort of like play a bunch of instants and sorceries. Demi Lich is a card that the deck could become a lot more about now, even though we do lack some of the sort of free type of mana generation cards like Manamorphose and Lava Dart that we get with it in Modern. But um, yeah, Blue Red Phoenix is definitely something where you know they I think it's going right? to step back. But if you just are trying to play a slower strategy and not trying to kill somebody and somebody gets the Faithless looting away, two Phoenixes, uh, good luck, Chief. <laughs> I mean, but you understand they can't help themselves, right? We're, we're gonna we're yeah. gonna get it. We're gonna get a free spell at some point here. Like it's gonna it's gonna show up in like a mystical archive, or it's gonna be in some set. We're gonna get a free spell. Come on, they, they they're they're not gonna be able to resist. <laughs> well, so there's free spells you can like work for and set up, and can kind of like be a little inefficient. Like there's ways of providing the free spell experience, like stagger shock and rebound and like faithless salvaging in modern horizons 2 allows you to sort of get like zero mana spells but in a way where it's just not a total free roll and so there is a way to do it where it's busted and there's a way to do it where it's not busted i agree at some point they're going to amp up the intensity of how much you can free spell with it phoenix and demi lich and we'll just have to see uh, whether they like to whether they go in a route that could be healthy or just like break the format in half so overall, Phoenix went from kind of like tier zero to probably like what, tier 1.5 or so, like somewhere tier two, I don't know, potentially even tier one, depending on how things land, but I think a little less likely. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think one thing that's going to be really nice for Blue Red Phoenix going further is just a lot less blue decks in the format means a lot less Narsets. Yeah, Nar- Narset is a good one. Uh, speaking of Narset and blue decks, the the biggest hit 
it, well, it's twofold. The the deck that actually I think gets the most uh, kind of punished by the brainstorm suspension is the blue red combo decks because those decks really don't want to draw certain cards and they really want to draw other specific cards and. The fact is, those decks aren't very good right now, anyway. So that's it's it's not like the most you know dramatic shift in the format. Um, but brainstorm was incredibly good in any indomitable creativity type of deck. So yeah, those those certainly got worse, but they were already I think pretty marginal. On the other hand, uh, the control decks like Jeskai or Demir, like the brainstorm loss, I think is quite bad for them. Like those decks really got a lot out of a getting to play like. Fabled Passage and even Field of Ruin in some cases because they got to play some slightly slower lands. And B, they played a mix of cards that were dead in some matchups and great in other matchups. And you kind of hold that mix together with Brainstorm and you know they no longer have that option. Yeah, I would. That is true. And that I do think that is a big strike. Memory Lapse is still a dope counterspell and they'll be able to still make good use of that. The one nice thing that they'll sort of get in terms of hey, there's less blue decks running around. It's just like when people are, when you play against somebody with Brainstorm, um, some you, you just don't win games because you go like interactive spell, interactive spell, interactive spell. And then your opponent's just like, oh, I just kind of had an awkward draw and I'm out. Like, and it really doesn't matter what you do at this point. With Brainstorm, it's just that those games happen so much less often. Um, and so, at le- so now at least it's like, Luis, you and I have both played a lot of like the Jun decks and it's like Mayhem Devil decks are just like, always feeling like a house of cards where it's like, oh my gosh, I got stuck on lands or oh my gosh, I drew one too many. All of my cards cost three mana. I can only do one of them a turn. A lot of more clunkiness in that experience overall and the control decks will enjoy playing against that. Overall, I'd still rather just be able to play these control decks with Brainstorm. But, you know, with like a lot of these cases, it's not just a pure, everything is now bad for them because they lost Brainstorm. Well, that seems like the perfect segue to actually talk about decks that got better, which is mid-range decks with like thought seas or non-blue decks they get to exist again (laughs) (laughs) like it was kind of a joke playing against these decks with brainstorm decks when they weren't killing you quickly and they weren't like they were even trying to disrupt you but like brainstorm just houses discards so badly like you just against these jun decks just wouldn't cast your brainstorms and then they go to thought seas you and you just be able to give them whatever your third best card in hand was in some cases nothing especially against like Inquisition. So the, these decks certainly got better. And look, you, you know the experience you just described where like the Jun deck like gets too many or too few land or doesn't draw the right combo or too many expensive cards. That's just like called playing magic. And now other decks have to just play magic too. So the Jun deck doesn't feel so left out when the blue decks really didn't suffer from that experience. They It was so rarely occurred where they had this just like, Un, you know, this is a kind of like really clunky or really messed up draw because every time you do a brainstorm, it basically fixed it. So definitely looking at John Food right now. Um, yes, John Food is a great deck. I my sort of, a deck in that space that I would be super interested in trying is uh, sort of the Rakdos Pyromancer decks. Um, to me, you know, if you take away a one busted cantrip, I'm going to look to the next one. And, you know, we've already talked about Faithless Looting a little bit, but absolutely love how that deck gets to use faithless looting and uh, in particular one thing i really like about both it and phoenix is they both have the capability of playing with that card in a way in which they are not totally reliant on the graveyard um in general they have gone pretty hard in recent years and now some of these are in modern rise it's too but uh, printing a flexible graveyard interaction and frequently what that 
And whether that's anything from Soul Guide Lanterns to reprinting Leyline of the Void, in modern we get Thoughty Voidwalker now, Sanctifier and Vec. Now, obviously those aren't in historic, but you get the space I'm going, I'm talking about. And when you get to play a deck that utilizes some aspect of the graveyard, like a Rakdos Pyromancer deck with its use of Kroxa and Claim to Fame, but you have such a strong aggressive game plan that can be played in the face of somebody who mulligan to a ley line of void, you do have a lot more potential to be able to win a game in which a very harsh piece of graveyard hate was played in early turns of the game. So that to me is a big reason why I'm kind of interested in the Rakdos decks and just any deck that gets to use faithless suiting in that sort of way. Yeah. I, I, I think that those decks were pretty cool. We, we just saw a bunch of evolutions of those decks as well. And so it's kind of cool to see people work on those again. Because they, they, they again, it was a mid-range Thoughtseize deck. It wasn't really playable when Brainstorm's around, but it, there, there's a lot of tools at their disposal, and it'll be cool seeing how they how those get constructed. Because I don't see any reason why that, that could be weak, and that actually brings us to our next deck, which is Goblins. Like, this is another blast from the past where, you know, these decks kind of disappeared from your point of view. And part of it, it's not like you'd think Goblins is like, oh, Goblins is weak to Brainstorm. It just, Goblins was just be a step behind and you know it just couldn't quite keep up with these decks and i think the banning of brainstorm could give them a little bit more uh of an opportunity here they also picked up like battle cry goblin and uh the 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 red goblin land the lair of the bugbear so or cave of the bugbear see i I told you i just nailed them nailed the names (laughs) uh so you know these decks got a little bit more i will say that the jun deck was part of the jun food deck was part of the reason goblins started falling out of favor so if jun is now better that kind of closes the door on goblins a bit but battlecrack goblin seems pretty exciting and and the the land seems not bad either so kind of curious to see if goblins can make a resurgent are you uh are you familiar with wally pep luis with excuse me what (laughs) <laughs> Wally Pip was the uh, baseball player, and the reason you never heard of him is that he got hurt and got replaced by Lou Gehrig, and one of the most famous baseball players of all time, and he never got his starting job back. Um, when you introduce cards like Brainstorm, that is going to have that kind of effect on certain things, and you might be like, well, wait, what does that have to do with Goblins? Well, Goblins was a deck whose strength was around. It, it was able to do a very powerful thing, consistency in like basically all of its games. And does that sound like a card I might be, we might, that might've gotten suspended recently <laughs> because of things like conspicuous Snoop and Goblin Matron and Goblin Ringleader. You just actually had that, uh, that giant Muxus in just such a high percentage of your games. And it's like, okay. But then if we introduce a card like Brainstorm and it's like, oh my gosh, I could just get the same real consistency about doing something powerful, but I don't even have to worry about sneak sweepers. I could just recur time walks and cheat in Velamachus Lorehold and bring back Arclay Phoenix every game. It's like, why do I need to like actually deal with worrying about removal? And so that is a big part to me, at least of why goblins has fallen off is like both these decks are more powerful than goblins in terms of some of their outputs. And they are just so much more resilient without those uh, more powerful options being so consistent. Absolutely. Muxus is definitely back on the menu. I also, uh, I've got my, my fan pick here. My, the thing I'm hoping is good. <laughs> that The Sultai Ultimatum deck that I played in one of those league splits uh, before, it was before Mystical Archive, so it was before Brainstorm got released. We didn't really worry about it afterwards because that, that, also Mizzix Mastery was in the Mystical Archives and that basically made non-Mizzix Mastery combo decks look kind of dumb. But 
this old Sultai Ultimatum deck, like you know, now that P- you're not playing against all these blue decks every time, we, we could get we could get a stew going. This is the deck that just basically plays like Sultai Ultimatum in standard, which is a bu- but better ramp spells slightly because <laughs> we're in a uh, historic and an instant win with uh, Omniscience, Final Parting, and Scholar of the Lost Trove, where basically they had to give you an Omniscience in 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 hand and. Uh, the in a sphinx in hand, so you it was really hard to lose from there. But I, I played that deck and it was so fun to play. You just got to do so much wild stuff, and I, I don't even know that this deck's going to be good. But it certainly wasn't when Brainstorm was around. So it, it would be interesting to see if maybe playing against more of these like Thoughtseize mid range decks. This deck was good against those. Like part of the reason we played the deck was it was good against Junt. It outraced them very quickly, and even if they drew a Thoughtseize or two, like you could still often win. So if the if those decks start to become more popular, I could see the Ultimatum deck come back for a second go round. Yeah, I, my my biggest strike and my guess is that with that deck is just like it's pretty rough to play against that if a substantial number of people are playing Memory Lapse in the format. But if blue decks fall off, that's not a guarantee. No, blue decks are dead because Brainstorm. Oh. It's true. Simultaneously, <laughs> we do have to reckon with the fact that like Memory Lapse and some of the other recent blue cards are really, really good, but Brainstorm is just absurd. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's it, it did take some of the heat off things like Memory Lapse, another, if I've, I've got to say, somewhat baffling choice for a reprint, because I think the Memory Lapse experience is like not that fun, but... You know, I don't know what you're what you're aiming for when you decide that the world needs needs more memory lapse. I I guess we could if Andrew Cuneo's favorite card Winter Orb shows up. That was the classic combo. If you think mem- getting memory lapse is bad, imagine getting memory lapse and then them playing a Winter Orb. You just tapped out for your five drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bigger fan of Mana Leak in terms of like a play pattern. Like it's not that like Mana Leak is like the most fun, but if if you think it's valuable to give people some more generic interaction in the format and like you want it so that um, people that it's not just so pure as like it always counters their card for two mana. Mana League does actually like just sort of let the person on the other side make a decision about how they want to play parts of the game. And like in longer games, Mem- Mana League just, just go bad. The memory lapse thing of just like it being used as a tool so that like if somebody is winning, they can't come back because they don't, or the other person just like can't get a draw step is it's like, okay, that's uh, yeah, that's, that's something. <laughs> do you got? Do you have any other picks for decks that uh, have an opportunity here? Um, I'm interested in seeing um, what will happen with some of the artifact things. Um, there's some interesting artifact cards. I don't know. I don't know if like something like Treasure Vault is actually enough to make Emery good, but it is kind of interesting because we have been lacking um, like a Dark Steel style Citadel. I'm not a big fan of sacking it, but just like type artifact land is the is a kind of card. I don't think it. This would not be my pick, Luis, if I was going to spend a lot of time as like trying to go deep on enabling it. But it is a. Uh, it's an, it's an area that could have some more promise than it did a couple months ago. Um, a big thing would in general for me would just be like sort of looking through Strixhaven and Adventures of the Forgotten Realm, I guess, of of like what might have had a chance to shake up Historic compared to what we had before Strixhaven and the Mystical Archive printing a Brainstorm game, but just never had a chance because of Brainstorm being around. So uh, b- before we go, uh, I did want to chat for a little bit about some announcements we got. <clears throat> One, we got the Worlds formats. So uh, the World Championships actually going to have draft again. Innistrad Midnight Hunt is going to is going to kick things off. There's going to be a draft and then standard post rotation. So you know that it's not really going to be relevant to either of us, like what the formats are exactly. But it is interesting to note uh, that 
post rotation standard plus draft coming back is pretty cool, but more exciting. You might be playing at Worlds, right? Uh, no, no, I, I can't. I can't qualify for Worlds anymore. Um, is uh, for for listeners of the podcast is that they announced that the Innistrad Set Championship is going to be a December third through fifth, and so we're going to have qualifier weekends for that, and we're going to you know get to see. Uh, an actual large scale championship with $450,000 in prizes. So if you're, if you're looking to get an edge and constructed, you know, now's not a bad time to start getting back into it just because there's something to play for. That's something I know that really impacts your desire to play. And I, I suspect you're going to want to play in some qualifiers for, for, for this and, and see how those go. Yeah. Um, the, I, I've enjoyed playing in the set championships when they have them. Um, to be honest, my favorite experience um, playing in the past couple of years in terms of like, or in the past like year since the pandemic of competitive play have just been the arena opens. Oh, I haven't had one of those in a while. I love those. Um, yeah, let's go. Ship it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. No, that, I haven't got an announcement on anyone coming up for that yet, but uh, hopeful, hopeful. I am fairly confident we're going to see a limited arena open for this set just because they've done it for the past couple sets and I think they've been successful. So for Adventures of the Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. or for the next Innistrad set? For for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Oh. It feels like con- wouldn't you announce it already so like people would practice the format once it came out? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They maybe I don't keep their cards close to Don't get my hopes up, Luis. It's been my heart's been broken too many times. <laughs> All I right. had hopes that they were just gonna ban something in standard this oh, week. Man, I really that- wanted to like could, you know so- try playing with some cards outside the context of Bone Crusher Giant at I don't really know what's going on. I was like looking at the ban announcement, like when the ban leak was spoiled. I was like, "Oh, I wonder what people are speculating is going to happen." And one thing that really stood out to me was like a bunch of people were speculating what might happen to modern. A bunch of people popper. A bunch of people were even talking about standard twenty two. And of course, there was talk about Brainstorm and Stark. And I was like, and then it hit me. I was like, no one's talking about standard. People both don't play this format, aren't finding it fun, and they don't even have hope that Watsi might do something to try to make it an interesting format to explore. And I was like. Are they really just letting this format be horrible and no one cares about it for the sake of not having to add to the 18 card ban list? That seems like a horrendous reason to handle your flagship format, but I, I think that's what's going on. Like, I'm not. Am I missing something here? I I'm shocked by the fact that standard was commonly the most played format, and now it is somehow nobody plays it. Yeah, like n- nobody plays it. It, yes, it's it, it's so many things about the state that Magic's in. Like, I don't want to try to make it sound as if like everything is a five alarm fire or anything like that. But if you are somebody who has only been playing Magic for maybe the past year, maybe the past two or three years, and if you want to get some sense of historical perspective on on some of these things, most of these things that are going on that seem kind of off to you, I would generally say I would put in the category of like this is unprecedented. We've had experiences that are in this space before of standard being like relatively flat and unchanging, but nothing to this degree before. Yeah. And given that every, people's wills have been so beaten down that, like you said, no one even speculated, but it would have been right. awesome. It would have been heroic if they just banned all the the crappy throne cards, you know, if they just, just the clean sweep alongside, uh, you know, like the emergent ultimatum and, you know, just all the, all the things that people play in those decks. And, you know, I, 
you know, hand, hand over our hearts, we had blocked off time to like record an instant CR reaction when we thought that was going to happen. Like we're like, <laughs> yes, we were going to record at lunch. <laughs> yep, we were going to like, all right, let's let, we're, we're gonna we're gonna get ready, clear our lunch schedule to record at lunch because you know this could be this could be an epic announcement. And then of course it was brainstorm is not even banned, suspended. So it's like, all right, well, maybe we're not going to do that. But it, it, we we were ready. We we were we were itching to talk about it because I got to tell you, it's hard when standards unplayable, especially since. They make me play at a tournament every three weeks or, you know, a month, and it's just has gotten progressively worse. No one's playing it right now. And I can't really fault people. The The new stuff seems cool. It's more fun. And I don't know. Like, like you said, people people are tired of losing to Bone Crusher Giant for the 70th time, you know. Right. And yeah, I mean, it kind of came up in just like it's – you always want to evaluate these things outside the context of just being like the numbers in the sense of like – their stated reasons for getting rid of brainstorm and historic was that it was just showing up too much and it was providing too much of the same experience. And it's like, just because you can't literally quantify the thing that I am describing of like, people are so tired of the same experiences and standard that, and they don't find them that fun that they've completely tuned out of the format. I think it would be hard for many people to disagree with that assessment that that is the state of affairs for most magic players. But if you agree with that, then you should be following the exact same logic about how you're treating Brainstorm, which is that we have to act because that is an unacceptable status quo. Not, uh, yeah, I guess the Saltai Ultimatum people aren't beating the Demir Mill people, aren't beating the Adventures people. Like, nobody's beating each other up too badly in that trifecta this week. Demir Rogues, not Mill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so... Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll keep you up to date with uh, what's going on in the formats that people play. Doesn't look like standard for the time being. So I, I, I wish I could have had a different answer for you, but if no one's playing it, I can't imagine too many people want to hear about it either. So it, you yeah. know what? tell you what, if current standard is something that interests you, drop me a line on Twitter. I'm just curious. I'm not saying that we're necessarily going to do a ton of content, but I could be wrong right. here. And I would like to hear if there are people who actually want to hear about not standard 2022, but like current standard. So... Yeah, let us like, know. Dude, it's not that there's literally nothing going on. It's like, is it dragons added orb or dragon kind? Like, do you want me to go deep on that and like tell you like why that's awesome, why that's cool, what you can do with it, like stuff like that? Because like I, I could do that. I, we're here for you people. So uh, we definitely do rely on you giving us some, any indication about like, hey, I would love to hear a lot more about this. For instance, like we did the burn episode because a lot of people really liked the Tron episode and we'll probably do another episode like that definitely. soon about looking at like classic deck archetypes in magic history. So in any case, you know where they can find us on Twitter. That's at LSV or at Abext. And uh, I'll, I'll leave you uh, up to you to decipher who is who. We'll be back next week. And until then, thanks for listening. All right, Luis, uh, before we go today, uh, I thought I'd put a little button on the NBA season for this year because as people might know from what's listening, I'm a bit of a basketball fan. So if, uh, if you enjoyed the NBA finals, it was pretty cool watching the Greek freak, a.k.a. Giannis Antetokounmpo. And uh, the fact that I'm able to pronounce the name uh, certainly gives you some indication of his significance in the NBA and the larger sporting world. And it's pretty amazing what he was able to accomplish. Uh, this was a kid who came over from Greece without a deep um, basketball pred pedigree um, and having played like lots of international play or anything like that. He came over as this like very skinny looking six foot, like nine kid in his first year, he grew three inches and over the past eight years, what he's been able to do in the city of Milwaukee 
is he's been able to develop in the best into one of, if not the best player in the NBA. And he capped it off this week by winning the NBA championship uh, the first time he had done so in his career and the first time the city of Milwaukee and that franchise had won it in like 50 years. And the thing that was really notable about it is that in an era of players oftentimes go moving around to bigger markets to try to team up with other superstars, he remained committed to the city and the team that had taken sort of a chance on him. Like he was not a sure thing. He was the sort of the, the gamble pick when he got taken in the first round of the draft and, and really rewarded them and the fans by delivering them a championship. And it was really great to see because he had had some real failings in the playoffs the past couple of years. And so anytime you get to sort of see somebody shake out of their destiny, like that's that's one of the things I love the most in sports. Like people people get put into boxes. Giannis was the athletic dominant guy. There's a reason why his nickname is the Greek freak. And everybody had him penciled and is like, oh, yeah, when he wants to go hard in the regular season, it's like who's really going to put up the trouble to try to stop the guy, the this like the near seven footer, 200, some like 50 pounds, who's just flying down the lane with athletic speed like you've never seen. But in the playoffs, when those guys up their intensity, he doesn't have the moves and the skills to counter that and still dominate. And that had been a narrative for like the last two years. And then in this playoffs, he stepped it up another level. He was able to be a consistent performer in crunch time when the intensity is at its highest in the game and Ultimately, it was why they were able to win the championship and capping it off with a 50-point win in the closeout game six. So um, there's even going to be a like a, a bio, a, 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 like a Disney Plus biopic, the Greek freak on him. So we'll have to see if that's any good as they're uh, making they're going to start making that later this year. So uh, just an awesome story from the world of sports. Uh, one I particularly appreciated. Um, it's really fun to root for your team, but. Uh, one great thing I think about the NBA and, and something that I know a lot of people really get into is this ability to like see somebody, see them go through the ups and downs and and act, and sometimes in a case like Giannis be able to triumph and sort of just utterly defy your expectations in a, a pretty magical way.